I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Tis the season of mulled wine, carols, Christmas crackers and general holiday cheer. But for me here at the RHS, it's also a time marked by nostalgic greenery. Each year I love that I can count on seeing fruiting hollies, vibrant poinsettias, mysterious mistletoe and of course, all the inescapable Christmas trees. And so for today's show we'll be bringing you stories to make your gardens and homes as festive as the season demands. First up, RHS advisor Rob Sterling chats with us on how not to kill our poinsettias. It hails from Mexico, which means that it doesn't really like the temperatures in this country. Next, we're turning to the world of crafts. Wildlife expert Helen Bostock will give us a dynamic tutorial on how to use cut stems to decorate the home. So whether you're celebrating Christmas or not, it's such a wonderful time of year to bring a bit of nature from outdoors indoors. We'll also catch up with our in-house experts to learn what you can still do in the garden. We're definitely not sitting around at the moment. There's still plenty to do in the garden. You're listening to Gardening with the RHS with me, Guy Barter. Nothing screams Christmas quite like the Poinsettia. Latin name, Euphorbia pulcherima. Its vibrant red and green foliage seems as if it were made for the holiday season. Or at least that's how we see the plant today. But in fact, Poinsettias weren't always synonymous with Christmas. Poinsettias are native to Mexico and were originally known as Social. The Aztecs used the plant's milky sap for medicinal purposes and extracts of its colourful leaves to make red and purple dyes. There's even evidence that the plant was used in their winter religious ceremonies. Only when Spanish conquerors and missionaries arrived did the plant become associated with Christmas. Friars adopted the vibrant plant as decoration, adorning nativity scenes and churches with it each winter. It's said that in 1828, Joel Roberts Ponsets, a US diplomat in Mexico, took cuttings of the Ponsettia and brought them back to the US. Less than a decade later, the plant got its common name, Ponsettia, after Ponsets. The plant only became a Christmas mainstay in the early 20th century, though, when Californian grower Paul Eck and his family started cultivating compact cultivars of the plant indoors and marketing it as a Christmas must-have on TV shows and in stores. For better or worse, it's one of gardening's great marketing stories. 
Interestingly, today, some people are rejecting the name Fonsetia, choosing to call it what the Aztecs did instead, Quetlasocial, which I rather like in terms of paying respect to its true homeland. Accustomed to balmy Mexican weather, Quetlasocial faces an uphill battle surviving here in the United Kingdom. But fear not, RHS advisor Rob Sterling has all the tips and tricks you need to help your red-bracted plant survive until the new year and beyond. Poinsettia is probably one of the iconic plants of Christmas. It kind of features on pretty much all of the kind of Christmas imagery that you see, Christmas cards, etc. And it's uh, typical of Christmas season, probably because of the red bracts, which are formed around very small flowers at the top of the plant. Its proper name is Euphorbia pulcorima, and it hails from Mexico, which means that it doesn't really like the temperatures in this country when it's available. Poinsettia prefers really a temperature range of about 15 to 18 Celsius, which means that, you know, because you're buying it for Christmas, the uh, plant is very susceptible to damage, particularly in storage, either in the supermarket or garden centre where uh, you may purchase it from or on the way home indeed. So in order to ensure that, you know, the plant you buy is going to last and survive, make sure it's in good condition, firm and with healthy, unwilted leaves. No leaves seem to be dropping off or turning yellow. The commonest reason for the plant to start wilting like that is through cold shock, and it doesn't usually recover from that. Usually what happens is that the bracts and the, the foliage will actually drop off eventually and the plant will go into decline. So try to choose one which isn't right by a door because the constant opening of the doors into the building will actually lower the temperature and it could actually expose the plants to a draft, which they would find quite injurious, really. And if the weather is cold when you purchase it, it's a good idea to wrap the plant before you actually take it out of the building in some sort of wrapping, either polythene bagging or something like that, in order to in insulate it on the journey home. And it needs to go into a room which is about 13 to 15 Celsius. Most rooms which are centrally heated are around about 20 to 21. So it's kind of cooled by our standards. But if you were to bring the plant into a warm room like that, again, it could shock it. And the plant, you know, could end up losing foliage as a result of being in too warm a room, which would weaken it. And it's important also not to place the plant near to a radiator, even if the room is at that temperature because the air near the radiator would be too hot and it would also be too dry. Poinsettias like humidity in the atmosphere. If the room contains other plants, it's a good idea to group the plants together because as the plants transpire moisture through the foliage into the air, they create a kind of microclimate around themselves. So grouping the plants together would help to raise the humidity around the plant and make for a, a more healthy and comfortable position for the poinsettia. The other thing is that spraying, which is often kind of suggested, isn't really beneficial. 
once you spray the foliage and it's dried off, the plant would still be in quite a kind of dry atmosphere again. So grouping those plants together would be a much better option. The poinsettia doesn't like being behind a curtain at night either because of the fact that the temperature between the curtain and the window can drop quite dramatically and again the plants will get chilled. So if you are keeping the plant you know, in a window then make sure that you move the plant into the room at night in order to prevent that shock from the temperatures dropping. The other thing is too that it's a good idea really to provide the plant with indirect sunlight in the window. Don't put it in the window where it's going to be exposed to really strong direct sunlight because that can scorch the leaves. It's also important to look for drafts. Only choose a window which is draft tree. You may even have to think about not placing the, the plant near a door in the house or even in a open fireplace because that sometimes allow drafts to come down which can injure the plant. The plant is very finicky and so you know the precautions to keep it healthy like that is very important. The weather conditions in this country are less than ideal but you know the reason why it's sort of on sale for Christmas is that it's a short day plant which means that it produces its flowers when the days get shorter. It's a process called photoperiodism it needs short days in order to trigger its flower formation. And if it was placed in artificial lighting, for example, you know, in the evenings, it wouldn't flower. It would continue to grow a little over the winter, but it wouldn't produce its flower bracts. It would need those 12 hours of darkness in order to produce its flower bracts each day. So to get the uh, colorful bracts on the poinsettia, it needs to be placed in a cupboard in 12 hours of darkness every day from the beginning of November. Poinsettias are, are well worth keeping if you have the time and the interest to do it. They are fascinating plants in that there is such a challenge to, to get them to flower again. You know, it's a real sense of achievement, I think. Thanks, Rob. Now that you have all the tools you need to keep your Quetla social happy and healthy, we thought we would give you another challenge making homemade Christmas decorations. We spoke to RHS wildlife specialist Helen Bostock on how to bring a bit of the outdoors inside with several crafts fit for the entire family. So we're now into Christmas week. Probably you've got beautiful decorations in your home. You've eaten a lot of food already. But hey, why don't we jump outdoors for a bit, get your secateurs, get the family out there, and we'll do some creative things with cut stems. Bring a bit of that outdoors in and it's a wonderful thing to do. Okay, so what can we do out here? Well, have a look around your garden and see what you've got to, to play with. Some of the best things and the easiest things to start off with are cut stems from dogwoods and willows. You know, those beautiful bright red stems or maybe bright green. The colours are just perfect for this time of year. So now's the time when you can cut those. The leaves will have dropped off, so you don't have to worry about doing harm to the plant. And what you're looking for is nice, slender, flexible stems, ideally up to maybe two or three feet in length, if you can get them. If they're smaller, don't worry, we're just going to be having a go at making some colour stemmed wreaths. And you don't need anything else, you don't even need like a wireframe or anything technical for this, just your secateurs. And if you can gather around about 10 to 12 stems per wreath, that should be enough. 
And what you need to do is start with your longest stems. Just take two ends and bring them together so they form a loop. And this circle is going to be the base of your wreath. And with those two stems, you then want to start to wrap them over each other so that they bind around and don't spring apart. So you're creating your first circle or your first loop. You don't even need to sort of tie these in with anything. This is going to be a real easy, low-tech way to do it. So if it springs apart, don't panic. Just have another go again. But this time, put an extra loop around it so that it doesn't spring apart. So once you've got your stem into a loop, then you can start to feed in your other stems and do them one at a time. So push the fat end of the stem in. Always push the stems in the same directions and this will make it look the most attractive. So you push your fat end in into somewhere halfway through the loop and then just with the flexible end, thinner end of the stem, just start to wrap it around. So you're following the, the root of the circle until it all is used up around. And once you've done that one, get your next stem and push that in just a little bit further on, perhaps a, an inch or so away from the first stem. And you just keep working these stems in until your wreath starts to take shape. You can maybe use your last stem and the thinner end of it just to make a little loop. Tie that in because that's going to be what you can hang it up in. And maybe if you've got a hook in your house, perhaps on the back of the bathroom door or over your fireplace, it's a lovely place to put these. So if it's all gone to plan, you should finish up with a wonderful, nice, thick, colourful wreath. So to be circular, but with lots of pokey bits coming out. Don't worry about that. If, you, if there's any really long, ugly ones, you can maybe snip them off. But I think the more natural, the better. It's going to look a bit like a sort of Catherine wheel in full spin if you've got it right. And even after Christmas, let them dry and they'll last for a good few years until they start to gather a bit of dust and then you can just add them to the compost heap. So, you know, these are great things to have. So how about also thinking about an alternative Christmas tree? This doesn't need to compete with your big one in the living room and it's, it doesn't take a lot of strength or energy. You just need to be able to cut a few stems and have a little bit of dexterity. So for this one, you're going to be looking for stems with a bit more structure to them, a little bit bigger perhaps than the stems we cut for the, for the wreaths. For me, my top, top favourite plant is the corkscrew hazel. Now go a little bit easy because with all the curly stems that corkscrew hazels produce, they are quite slow to grow. So you don't want to completely decimate your, your tree in the garden, especially if it's a favourite one of your mum's or something. But if you've got a bit spare, then again, this is a great time of year because the leaves will be off and you can see all those wonderful curly stems. So cut a few of those and bring them indoors. They may well also have some catkins on. These will not be nice and tight, so they just look like extra baubles, you know, or tassels. <laughs> so they, they already come with their own natural decoration. But put those into a nice vase. You might have to snip off some side stems low down to, in order to get them to push into a vase. If you've got a nice big earthenware one or something like that, or a jug, you might need to weight it down a little bit in the base, perhaps with a stone, just so that it doesn't fall over. Or another technique I've used is to literally take one of the stems and a bit of string and discreetly tie it to a support. So maybe you've got a, a pillar or something, or you know something stood that's nice and firm by the fireplace or something that you can attach it to. But make sure that it's nice and stable. And once you've got it upright, then 
don't stop there. Why not have a look out, see if you've got any seed heads from clematis in your garden. Or if you live in quite a rural area, you might find you've got something called old man's beard. This is clematis vitalba, which is one of our native clematis. And at this time of year, it'll be smothered in lots of fluffy seed heads. And these well, in my mind, this is just nature's tinsel begging to be used. So if you are harvesting anything from the countryside, do make sure you've got a landowner's permission before doing that and never harvest more than, than you need. But you might well have something like this in your garden as well, because quite a few of the clematis produce these seed heads. And all you have to do is cut a few strands of this. It can be prone to breaking a little bit, but don't worry too much. Just drape that around your corkscrew hazel. And yep, yeah, hey presto, you've got a brilliant tree. I've used this technique actually for a good few years as my only Christmas tree because I love to have delicate little glass baubles and decorations and they will just get lost on a traditional tree so it's lovely with the if you can also add some fairy lights on to have them on a tree all to their own which will really make the best of them. So have a go if you haven't got corkscrew hazel don't panic there's lots of other stems that you could try. I've got a snake bark maple in my garden, which I pollard every couple of years. So these have red and white stripy stems, which is probably about as close as you can get to candy canes for, <laughs> for Christmas. And these make really good alternative stems to put baubles on as well, because they've got lots of side shoots. So whether you're celebrating Christmas or not, it's such a wonderful time of year to bring a bit of nature from outdoors, indoors, combine it with a, you know, friends and family, cup of tea or cup of hot chocolate, whatever it is that takes you fancy. And yeah, have fun this Christmas with a bit of nature splashed in there too. Thanks, Helen. See our show notes for additional details on how to make DIY decorations using the plants in your garden. Actually, I've been lucky enough to attend one of Helen's workshops on wreath making. And under Helen's supervision, I did turn out some quite serviceable wreaths. But cutting stems isn't the only outdoor activity you can do this holiday season. There's still plenty to be done in the garden. You're not off the hook just yet. Here are Wisley horticulturalists Ian Trout and Louisa Neal with a list of must-do jobs for the winter gardener. Hi, I'm Louisa. I'm a horticulturalist at Wisley and I work on the herbaceous borders near the glasshouse. Hi, I'm Ian. I'm also a horticulturalist at Wisley and I work on the glasshouse borders near to the glasshouse at Wisley. Today we just wanted to talk to you about a few jobs that you can be doing in the garden in December because there's still plenty to be doing out there. So on a daily basis we have been leaf blowing to make sure that no pathways are covered in leaf so that there's no risk of slipping over. We've also been blowing leaves off the grass because if you get too many leaves on, on your lawn, there's a risk of it dying underneath because they, they, they don't get the sunshine, they can't photosynthesise. And we're also still applying mulch around the garden. So you wouldn't apply mulch on a frozen ground, but when the ground's not frozen, it's a good time to be mulching the, the beds and borders. We do this to lock in the winter wet so that the plants are going to have more water available to them when they want to get growing again in the spring, and also to start to reduce the amount of weeds and things that there are around the garden. The rule with mulch is you need a, a good thickness, probably about 7 to 10 centimetres. Too much is, you know, you're just going to bury plants and you, there's a risk of the crowns becoming too wet and they could then die back. 
be mindful, especially with herbaceous plants and actually any plant tree shrubs, to not push the mulch right up to the bark edge because, again, if the crowns or the stems get too wet, it can rot. So, yeah, around everything, but not up to the stems. And finally, and probably most excitingly, we're still planting tulips. So tulips can be planted in the ground. They actually prefer it if you plant them after we've had a period of cold because it kills off some of the viruses and things that live in the ground. And of course you can still plant them in pots. So you can definitely do that up until the end of December. Tulips are a good easy way to get started in growing something. Even if you've only got a small, a small balcony or whatever, you could have a little pot with some tulips in. And all you need to do, put them in, put them three times the depth of the bulb with some compost and they'll, they'll give you a display in the spring. So if you've got any bulbs lying around, don't be afraid to put them in. As long as they're not squashy, then you can plant them. If, if they've got a little bit of mould on the outside, that they'll be absolutely fine. Put them in a pot, and if you want to get out in the garden, put them in the ground, and they will definitely give you a show. You can actually get them quite cheap in the garden centres now because they tend to be trying to sell them off. So it's a good opportunity if you fancy going down the garden centre and buying a few more. There's always room for a few more tulips. The only other thing you need to be aware is that the squirrels are out and about, so they're trying to dig up and eat your tulips. So it's, if you've got them in a pot, it's good to protect them with some chicken wire just to stop the squirrels from eating them, having them for their Christmas lunch. It might be a bit later than the, than the tulips that you've planted earlier, but you can definitely plant them now. They're definitely not going to grow in a packet in the back of the shed. So like I say, as long as they're not squashy, then yeah, put them in. Ian and I have been planting a lot of tulips this year. We planted 270,000 of them, and this is for a one-off display for next year and they all should flower at the same time about April, May. Yeah, so the 270,000 tulips, we didn't plant them all by hand. Fortunately, we had a machine to help us. So in the lawns around the landscape, they're kind of crescent shaped lawns and we planted them in 11 different panels of colour across there. And then there's also other tulips around, around the glass house and some near the entrance. So a lot of tulips have gone in the ground. They all have slightly strange names, but there's one called Mistress Mystic, which is a beautiful pale pink tulip. So I'm looking forward to seeing that one. And I quite like, um, there's a very dark black one. Apparently it's the blackest tulip that you can get and it's called Paul Scherer. And it actually looks very nice together with the Mistress Mystic, <laughs> a nice combination. So we're definitely not sitting around at the moment. There's still plenty to do in the garden. We've been mulching, getting rid of leaf from paths and lawns and planting those last few tulips. So if you've got any of those jobs to do at home, keep going. Now's the time to do it. Wrap up warm and yeah, keep gardening. Just put a hat and a scarf on and you'll feel lovely and warm when you get back inside and have a cup of tea and sit by the fire. Thanks there to Ian and Louisa. There've been big displays of bulbs before at Wisley, but nothing like this. It's going to be the most fantastic spectacle. As Ian and Louisa said, there are 270,000 tulips and they're going to come up in succession all through the spring, making great lawns of colour. So be sure to check out the RHS website for more information as spring draws closer. Well, that's about it for today. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It's the best way to help us share the love of gardening, and hopefully it'll mean we'll see more flourishing Quetla socials all across the UK. If you're on the hunt for any additional gardening tips this week, consider planting bare root trees, including shrubs and hedges, sharpen your secateurs, knives, hose, and any other bladed implement, 
and sow some indoor microgreens. That's all for now. So from me, Guy Barter, have a very Merry Christmas. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets and you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.